The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The scripture for this morning can be found in Exodus 13, 3 through 10. If you have one of the Bibles under your chair, uh, it can be found on page 36, and you can also follow along on the screen. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as its appointed time from year to year. This is God's word. So on August 28th, 1963, there was a moment that changed a nation forever. Now, that doesn't happen very often. On August 28, 1963, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech to a, over a million people on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. That moment, it was that moment, he had been working for, for years up to that moment, the movement had been working for years, but it was that moment that crystallized for the world the struggles and the hope of millions of oppressed people across the United States. In 1968, less than five years later, Martin Luther King Jr. would be gunned down for being the embodiment of that change, the embodiment of that struggle, the embodiment of that hope, of that peaceful fight for racial justice. In 2011, 48 years later, another man with a similar skin tone would stand just off the mall and would dedicate the Martin Luther King Jr. National Memorial. It's an amazing thing. It's a 30-foot-tall statue of MLK Jr. Uh, out of a, with him sort of a, if you haven't seen it, it's him sort of emerging from this stone. And it was, it's called the, the actual statue itself is called the Stone of Hope. It's taken from a line in the I Have a Dream speech where he says, out of the mountain of, out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. And that 30-foot-tall statue of MLK emerging from the mountain of despair is a wall all the way around with 14 of his, some of his most famous sayings from 1955 to 1968 when he died. There are very few moments that mark a nation or mark a people where on one side of the moment things are one way and the other side of the moment things are another way. 
uh, I don't know if anyone in here is old enough. We have a pretty young congregation, but uh, obviously another one in American history would be Pearl Harbor. Uh, another one that all of us, most of us in here would, actually, you, some of you guys are kids. You don't even remember, maybe, but would be obviously uh, 9-11, right? I mean, that just sort of marks history for us. History was one way on one side, and it was another way on another side. And whenever a particular person or a particular event happens, some are so momentous that we know like that needs to be commemorated. It needs to be marked and it needs to be remembered because there are certain events and certain people that mark time. It splits time. Things were one way before and they're another way after. And when that happens, it requires a memorial where people say, we have to remember this. We can never forget what happened here. We have to remember this and we have to make sure that our kids remember this and their kids remember this after them. And these would be something that fits the moment and communicates to them the momentous events that occurred at this moment. God has just brought, in this passage that we're in today, has just brought the people of Israel out of 430 years of slavery. 430 years. It is the most momentous event in the Old Testament history. If you're a Jew, it is the most momentous event in your history to the point that you still celebrate it today because he institutes a memorial here in this passage that they call Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the passage that John just read to us. It's a momentous event. And it's interesting that as soon as they get out, in fact, as soon as they get out before, uh, before they even get to the Red Sea, Right, because we, if you've seen the movie or you cheated ahead in the story, you know like Pharaoh's gonna have second thoughts and he's gonna pursue them and they're gonna be stuck in front of the Red Sea. I'm stealing Justin's passage next week. They're gonna be stuck in front of the Red Sea and God's gonna deliver them and push them to the other side and gonna fully deliver them from the nation of Egypt. But before they even get there, God stops and says, here's what's gonna happen. I just brought you out of Israel by my mighty hand. The most powerful nation on the earth has now bowed to you, a group of slaves. I've rolled 10 plagues across the land of Egypt that finally brought the nation to its knees. And now I have forced them to push you out with a mighty hand, with my mighty hand. And now here's what I want you to do. This is important. Every year, you're gonna have this feast because you're gonna to need to remember what I have done. This is a memorial that will happen every year to remind you of this momentous event that changed history for you. And then he goes further in the passage that we didn't read that's in later on in chapter 13, and he says that not only that, but every time that you have uh, someone born into your house, either a son or at a firstborn of, an, of, a, of livestock, you're gonna have to redeem that son. You're gonna have to kill that firstborn in order so that you will never forget. Because remember, this is an agrarian society, so once a year, they're gonna celebrate Passover, this month of Abib or Abib or however you pronounce it. You're gonna, you're gonna celebrate it every year this month, but every time a person, a son is born to you, a firstborn son, or 
or an, an animal is born, you're going to have to remember. You have to sacrifice the animal and, re- and redeem the firstborn son because I want you to remember that I redeemed you out of the land of Egypt and that I allowed you to sacrifice a lamb or a goat to save the firstborn in your household when I wiped out the firstborn in Egypt. I want you to remember. So as an agrarian society, that would have been happening all the time. They would have been having to remember what he did for them. He instituted the very beginning before he even got them fully out of harm's way, a memorial to remember because we are all prone to forget. There's four things that we're gonna see in this passage. We're gonna roll, roll along this morning or roll along however you want to do it. As God is setting up memorials, number one, a memorial is a reminder. Number two, a memorial is to be passed down. Number three, a memorial stirs us. And number four, a memorial declares a memorial is, a, I'm gonna mess up that word so many times this morning. A memorial is a reminder. A memorial is to be passed down and a memorial stirs us and a memorial declares. First of all, a memorial is a reminder. The first thing God does again, after he brings them out of Egypt to say, I want you to remember this day and here's what you're going to do in order to remember it going forward. And you know why that is? It's because you and I forget I don't know about you. Some of you have really good memories. I'm very impressed. Dale has this sort of like running to-do list in his head where he's always remembering what has to happen. You can ask my wife. I can, I can leave our house. We live just around the corner from Kroger in Carolina Forest. I can leave our house, go to Kroger with one thing to pick up walk into Kroger, buy five things, come out, get home, and she's looking at me for the one thing she sent me to get, and I forgot that one thing. I wake up, and it is, it is a blessing and a curse. Uh, when, I lay down, when I lay my head on the, the pillow at night, I am out almost immediately. And when I wake up in the morning, it is a totally fresh slate. It's like my mind is one, it's like a, one of those white, white on wipe off boards, and somebody just comes through while I'm sleeping and just wipes everything off. And I wake up, and the morning is fresh and new. There's no carryover from the day before. But the problem is I forgot what it was I was supposed to do the next morning when I get up. So I have to place like little to-dos and alarms to remind me, hey, like you need to get up, you need to get a shower, you need to go to work, like this is what has to happen today. Like I will be at work the night, the day before and looking at my desk and like thinking like, wow, this desk is full and crazy. I need to be back here like right early in the morning and I, the alarm goes off in the morning and I'm just floating around the house like, like, like I have servants to care for me and there's nothing going on. I have to, I, I literally have to have a reminder, a marker, something I place somewhere or something that goes off of my phone to say, hey, dummy, you've got to go and get this stuff done. I forget things all the time, but maybe you're not as bad as I am, but we all forget. We forget the important things because most of us, we remember the urgent, but we forget the important. We remember the urgent, the things that are calling out to us every day, every morning, every moment, the urgent things, but we forget in the clutter of the urgency what's most important. Maybe that happens in your relationships, in your marriage. You get caught up in just doing life. You got a lot of stuff to do. You got Maybe you have a kid or two and life has gotten busy. You got work going on and sometimes, I don't know about you, but like you you realize uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of months has passed and 
you've just sort of lived as sort of roommates with each other and you haven't really shared each, with each other on a heart level what's going on. We remember the urgent, but we forget the important. Maybe that happens with you with all kinds of things in your life, certain goals that like, you're like, I will never forget that we're working towards this goal. Like I'm, we're saving up for a house or I'm saving up for a down payment or, or I, I'm, I'm, we're, gonna, we're gonna save and we're gonna, we're gonna buy this piece of furniture. And then you walk into Walmart or you walk into Target and something's shiny and it's blinking and it's gadgety, it's got buttons. And the next thing you know, you're home and you're like smiling and you realize I just spent the, what we've been saving the past two months in order to buy this new couch. So we forget the important because of the urgent. And we do that with the most important things. I don't know about you, but I can go days at a time, weeks at a time, without remembering. And I don't just mean like the thought running across my head, but really remembering, having my affection stirred by the sacrifice that Christ paid on my behalf or remembering that I'm a child of the most high God who he owns and controls the entire universe in the palm of his hand, he holds it. Or I get beat down by life and I'm thinking more about my performance and about how terrible it's going or maybe in the very few times with how good I'm doing and I forget that I, I am but a sinful human being yet on the other hand, I'm a beloved child of the most high God. And he loves me and cares for me no matter what I have done. And I have great value with him in his family because of that I forget what's most important because of the things that are calling out to me. And so I need to be reminded just like you need to be reminded. And the cool thing about seeing this in this passage and the the importance that God places on it is that he understands that you and I forget. Megan understands that I'm forgetful and she accommodates that and God understands that you and I forget and he accommodates that. And he says, here, I'm gonna help you out. Observe this memorial so that you'll remember. It's like setting up, it's like he's going up ahead of us and helping us to set up speed bumps or Uh, road signs ahead of us down the road of life so that when we come to them, we have to stop and remember. What is he reminding us of? First of all, that they are historic events. These are empirical facts of things that really happened. He's reminding, think about it, that these people, they would never forget. Or well, even though, oh, we say they never forget, but we see in this story they continually forget. But they will always remember. It'll be the big deal in their life like that God delivered them from the land of Egypt. But their kids won't remember. Their kids won't have any sort of memory of what that's like. Just like my, my grandfather just died in the past year. Uh, Sophia kind of knew him. Landon won't ever remember him. So I have to show them pictures and videos and tell them stories to remind them because they won't even understand that, that world that I grew up in where my grandfather existed, where I lived next door to him growing up. They are empirical, historical facts that we have to be reminded of that they happened. And for you and I, that means that we need to remember that Jesus Christ was a real man who was really born. 
He was the third, second person the Godhead who came to earth, 100% God, 100% man, and lived a perfect life as a peasant in the region of Galilee. That he died a, a death, though he had done nothing wrong, to pay the penalty that you and I deserved, and that he really was put into the grave, and that he really rose again on the third day, and he really is seated on the right hand of the Father, and he's really coming back again. These are empirical, historical facts. It happened, and we need to be reminded that that happened, that it's not a fairy tale, it's not a story, it's not a myth, it's not a legend, it's not something that's just been passed down over time. It really, really happened. He was a real man who really came from God as God to save you and me. It really happened. It's an important, historical, empirical fact that happened. And you and I need to be reminded of that. You and I need to be reminded that he came to redeem us, though we were lost, though we were bound by sin, and we were slaves in our own Egypt, in our own world, in our own sin and death. He came and he delivered us and brought us out. But not only the historic facts that we need to be reminded of that happened empirically in the past, but they're very personal facts that you and I need to be reminded of. I don't know about you, but um, again, with Megan, sometimes the tyranny of the urgent, we, we're living life and we're doing stuff and I love her, but you know, it just, you're busy. And then every now and then you have a nice evening or you go out on a, like we go out on a date pretty much every week. And sometimes it's just a date that's great or it's always great, but sometimes it's a date where just the conversation goes somewhere and it stirs and I remember all this history that we have. I remember meeting her, I remember the butterflies in my stomach. Or we go away for a weekend and we have enough time with just us two that we remember how much we love each other. We remember falling in love, we remember our story. I remember parts about her personality that I've forgotten over time. I look into her eyes and I see once again like, how beautiful they are. Every now and then, I see her every day, all the time, but every now and then I see her in just a, a light and I think, wow, I can't believe I get to be married to such a beautiful woman and you and I need to be reminded of how God loves you and me and how he saved you right where you were. Some of you, that may have been early in your life. Some of you, it's later in your life. Some of you, it wasn't very long ago. Do you remember? Do you remember where you were before and where you were after? Have you forgotten? Do you remember the things that he has done in your past, not just at the moment of salvation, but since then? The ways that he came through where you didn't think anything could happen, those broken relationships, your broken heart, impossible situations. There was a time where Megan lost her job and we were stupid. We didn't realize that we could file for unemployment. We did not know we could file. It never crossed our mind. And so we went through about three to six months. We just bought our first house. And, and when we added up the money that we needed just to survive and the money that we had coming in, there was no, like there was, it was a million miles difference between the two. It could not happen. 
And yet somehow, even though there were days I went to work where I literally had maybe one, I remember days where I had zero dollars in my wallet. And yet somehow, we would pay the bills. People would slip us money in church. People who didn't, I didn't think knew that Megan had lost her job. People would walk by us and shake my hand and leave money in my hand. We got anonymous money. We must have looked ragged. We got anonymous money in, our, like in the mail. People who gave us like gift cards to restaurants saying, hey, I wanna make sure you guys get a date night. Because if they knew, I guess if they gave us money, it was gonna go to the bills. And yet God came through every month, every time. Do you remember how he's done that for you? Little miracles along the way that don't mean as much as somebody else, but do you remember, we need a way to remind ourselves of the facts of how he has personally cared for us and delivered us. That's why in verse eight he says, uh, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did, listen to the personal wording, not what the, what the Lord did for us, but because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Do you remember? And how will you remember? How can you and I set up memorials in our lives to cause us to remember when we know we're gonna be racing down the freeway of life how are we gonna go ahead and put speed bumps or road signs beside the way so we make sure that a week from now, I remember, a month from now, I remember, a year from now, I remember. I've had to do this very intentionally in my own life because I know I get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. And so I've had to set alarms every day to pray to read my Bible, to pray for Megan, to pray for my kids. Because I should remember that every day, but I forget. I have to set up, I have to think ahead and set up certain times in my schedule where I'm gonna take an evening or a day or a moment to remember, to read or to journal or to read scripture or to pray, or I'm gonna get away to a conference or something, some way thinking ahead of time, knowing I'm gonna forget, so I have to set up certain memorials in my life that are gonna cause me to stop and to think and to remember who he is and what he's done for me. A memorial is a reminder, but a memorial is also to be passed down. Think about that passage that we just read where he said, on that day, you will tell your son, this is how he brought me, how he delivered me, how he rescued me from Egypt. But also down in verse 14 and 15, and when in that time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It reminds me of a passage in Joshua, Joshua 4, 21 through 24. This is after God has brought again, after he first he delivers the people of Israel, he's going to be bringing them into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness. He dries up the Jordan so they're able to walk through on dry land like the way he dries, causes them to walk through the Red Sea. When they get to the other side, uh, he said 
to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in this time to come, so what happened is he, as they went through, he, he told each uh, one person from each tribe, there are 12 tribes of Israel, to grab a rock, grab a stone as they walked through the Jordan. When they got to the other side, they stacked all the stones, all the rocks up, and they made a memorial, an altar to remember how God brought them through and into the promised land. And when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. When the children ask you, what do these stones mean? You have an answer for them. It's like when you take your kids to Washington, D.C., and you see the Lincoln Memorial, and you see the Washington Monument, and you see the World War II Memorial, and you see the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, and they ask you, what does this mean? Or probably more likely, they just like look at it, and you tell them what it means. This is what it means. Washington was the first president of the United States of America. Lincoln was a great president who led us through the Civil War and he freed the slaves. World War II, was a, we remember the greatest generation. They gave thousands and thousands and thousands of lives for the sake of freedom. And when you look at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, you say, this man stood for justice in a time when people were impressed, oppressed unfairly. So my question to you is, what memorials do you have set up that will cause your kids to ask, what do these stones mean? What memorials do you have set up that will cause them to ask, what do these stones mean? Or if you don't have kids, as you're setting your pattern for a life ahead where you will have kids, or even your, your friends or your family that will cause them to ask, what do these stones mean? One memorial that we have set up is weekly worship. This is not me trying to get you guys to come here on rainy days. This is just something that God instituted that we place, that we know on Sunday morning we're gonna come and we're gonna worship. That's a non-negotiable in my house. My kids look forward to it. They know that's a speed bump, that's a road sign, that's a red light on our life where we stop at the beginning of the week and we remember and we hear and we celebrate what God has done for us. It's not because... Uh, it's flashy, it's because it's what we do. Weekly worship, deep relationships. When your kids see you deeply sharing life with somebody else, when your kids see you sharing with other people your weaknesses and your struggles and being honest and real about things that you're going through, it will cause them to ask, Daddy, Mommy, why are, you, why are they always at our house? Why are we always going over there for community group? Why do we do that every week? Why are, you, why, are you, why are you talking with them so much? You say, this is why. Because God has created a new family. We share a father and an older brother, and they're my brother and sister, even though we share no blood relation. When they see you, I remember my memory of my mother is that she was always up before us. And she either, if she had always read her Bible and had prayed, I remember that. Even if you're not an early riser, do your kids ever see you 
in the word? Do your kids ever see you pray? When your kids have a problem, do you ever say, hey, let's go take this to God right now? Does your wife see it? Does your husband see it? What do these stones mean? Is there any reason for your friends and family and neighbors to ask you, what do these stones mean? Family devotions. I'll be honest, we're not super consistent with this, but we are giving it stabs. Time where we'll take the kids aside and we'll read a book or read scripture or pray together to cause them to ask, why do we continue to do this? Because God has brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Family devotions, family traditions, they're all speed bumps and road signs that we can go and set up beforehand that will cause our kids to ask, what do they mean? And it's a way of passing down truth from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. A memorial is a reminder, a memorial is to be passed down, and a memorial stirs us. It's, they're meant to stir us. The grandeur of the MLK, MLK Memorial is meant to stir you and to remind you of a great man who spearheaded an even greater cause. When you walk up to the Lincoln Memorial and you're awed by the sheer size of the whole thing, it's meant to cause you to remember and to be stirred by what this great man stood for. Not just this man, but what they stood for. They're meant to stir us. That passage we just read from Joshua when he, in uh, verse 24 when he said, so that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now I find that very interesting because he says, I want you to remember that I delivered you so that you will fear me. Isn't that interesting? I want you to remember that I delivered you so that you will fear me. Why? How does that work? It works by us remembering what a mighty hand God has saved us with, causes us to remember who we are. We are but dust. You guys know that joke, right? The kid goes, it's on, uh, uh, it's on, uh, I forgot, the beginning of Lent, and uh, they have a Ash, Ash Wednesday, and they, they go through, in some traditions, you go through the line, and the, the, the pastor takes ashes, and he dips his thumb in the ashes, and he puts a cross on your forehead, and the kid comes out the other side and says, I can't believe that. He said, we're butt dust. And like, what? He said, you are butt dust, and to dust you shall return. But you and I, either way, it's true. You and I are butt dust. And yet... He loves us. He delivered us. When we see who we are in our lowliness and his, who he is in his mightiness and how he condescended and came and saved us, it stirs us with fear and stirs our affections for him. It reminds us of who, it reminds me of who I am and who God is. Just like every week as we gather for worship, we talk about the same story over and over again. Jesus came for us when we were but sinners and he died for us because that's the story 
that should stir our affections. That's why every week we gather and we celebrate the body and blood of Jesus Christ and the bread and the juice because it reminds us, it stirs us of the affection that he has for us. It reminds us of who we are and who he is and how he has brought us to himself. Memorials meant to stir our affections for him. And so my question to you this morning is, how's that going for you? How are your affections being stirred for him? We all go through dry, dull seasons. That's part of life. But if your affections are never stirred for him as we come and we gather together for worship, as you meet in community groups during the week, as we partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, as we sing of his awesome power and his great love for you and me, if that never stirs your affections, then something's not connecting Either maybe you've never been born again, he's never breathed his life upon your soul and you've never placed your faith and trust in him and become a child of God, so it doesn't mean that much to you. Just as if I were to tell you stories about my grandfather, it wouldn't mean anything to you, but if I sit around with my sisters and cousins and my mother and we talk about stories about my granddad, it makes us laugh and cry because we remember him. There's a personal connection. Maybe there's no personal connection with him. I would pray that this would be your morning to make a personal connection. Or maybe you're not observing the memorials that he has set up correctly. I think one thing about American Christians is we view church far too casually. And again, this isn't the church planner trying to get you guys to come to meetings. I think we view church far too casually because it's a luxury and it's based on convenience for us. But if we understand that our very life and death is based upon the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf, and my very life and death is, is based upon my ability to have my affection stirred to remember what is most important, not what is urgent in my life, that I have to set up in my life memorials that are gonna cause me to remember. I have to understand my connection to the body of Christ to worship together corporately and gather with the saints and pray for each other and sing and celebrate the gospel and to study the word together are my lifeline to my true life and it means life or death to me. The memorial is meant to to be a reminder. It's meant to be passed down. A memorial is meant to stir us and a memorial declares. Verse 24 of Joshua, again, that we just read, so that, why are you gonna set up this memorial? So that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty. A memorial doesn't just remind us, it's not just something to be passed down, but it declares to people outside the mighty hand of the Lord. My question is, how are they to see? Do you know how they're to see? Romans 12, one, for I urge you therefore, my brothers, to give, we can turn there. If you have your Bible, turn there, because I want you to see it. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. You know what? Well, there are certainly memorials in the way that we gather here, the way that we sing, that we preach the word, we study the word, we observe the Lord's table, we gather and pray with each other. But you know what the real memorial to who Jesus is and the mighty hand of God is? It's each person who is sitting in that uncomfortable metal seat right now. God has called you and I to be living memorials, living sacrifices that declare the mighty hand of God to the people around us. We live as trophies of grace. You are God's showcase, us together, but you individually. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, you are God's showcase. You are his stones so that when people walk by and they see, they ask, what does this mean by looking at your life and seeing how God has redeemed you by his mighty hand and brought you through from death to life, from Egypt to a child of God into the promised land? You and I are to be a living sacrifice. That means that our life is to be a memorial. So my question to you this morning is, how are you gonna make your life a memorial? What is your life a memorial to? Because we all are celebrating something. We're all remembering something. Is the center of your life a celebration of and a recognition of who God is and what he has done for you? Or is it celebrating or remembering or memorializing something else? I pray that we are all walking and living memorials to Christ, that we will grow in that individually and together as a church so that your, your friends your neighbors, your family, who you look at and you wonder now, I wonder what their eternal destiny is. That they will somehow look at you and see your life with other believers in such a way that they will say, what does that mean? And it will point them to the mighty hand of God that has delivered you and me for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, as we take a, a minute or so to think about our own lives and what we have been talking about this morning, I pray that you would uh, convict us of ways that perhaps we have worshiped other things, that we have made our lives memorials to other things, to lesser things, God, that we have... Uh, bow to the tyranny of the urgent rather than the important. And Father, I pray that we'd find grace. I know that we find grace and forgiveness there this morning. And you would help us to, uh, going forward, to grow as the people who build our lives around the central truth of who you are and what you have done. And that you would help us to live lives that uh, pass on to our children and to our friends' children, the other children that are part of this community, and to the outside world that they would see 
your mighty power on our behalf. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.